when I was younger and uh, liked to hike, or actually liked to walk, uh, I would spend uh, some of my summers in, on the Appalachian Trail, uh, just out in a very much, even today, still a wilderness, uh, trying to get from one campsite to the next. And I was in a group of guys that would go out for a month at a time, I mean a, a week at a time. And uh, we would go out, whether it was raining or storming or whatever was going on, we were out there hiking. And it was such an exciting time, and I learned a lot about myself as I was out there hiking, mainly that I did not like to hike. Uh, I did not like bears, and I did not like rattlesnakes, but uh, it was always great to be with other guys and to push ourselves to keep on going. I mean, walking all day long, trying to get to our destination, um, not just for that day, but that we would be able to keep the time uh, so that we could get to our ultimate destination uh, at the end of the week so that we could be picked up in the right place. Well, before every week, whenever we would do this, there was always that sense of excitement about how great it's going to be. Kind of that, that idea, the romantic idea of hiking in the woods and being able to uh, just be one with nature and to uh, survive off of whatever we had in our backpacks or off of the land and, and just to see the stars at night and, you know, all of that good stuff. But usually the campouts uh, at night didn't end up that way. We were so tired. No one wanted to get wood. Um, it was just usually kind of a uh, uh, you know, mutiny that was going on uh, with whoever was leading for that particular day. But one of the things that I noticed was that the uh, new guys never really understood the need for preparation. And if somebody said, oh, you know, I've hiked before, I've been on the Appalachian Trail before, I, you know, I don't need any help getting prepared. And those of us who had done this a little while, we had checklists that we would go by because we learned the hard way that if you're out on the trail and you don't have uh, enough food or if you eat all of your food in the first two days, then you're going to be pretty hungry um, the next uh, several days as you're hiking. Or if you don't bring enough water then uh, you're going to be in some real trouble because none of the other guys are going to share their water with you because they warned you to be prepared and to get ready. But you also would need to have things in your backpack like a tent. Um, and not just a tent, but you needed to remember to bring the poles for your tent. Uh, you could have a beautiful, huge, expansive tent, but without any poles or any way to suspend that tent, you're going to be in some real trouble. Sounds like you've been there. I've been there. I learned the hard way. Uh, but also, uh, you'd be out on the trail and somebody could be uh, bitten by a rattlesnake or some other kind of snake. Or what would you do? God forbid if somebody uh, fell off of a cliff or hurt themselves. You want to make sure that you had cell phone or some way of being able to get in contact with somebody. It was all about preparation and that we could really enjoy the end of that journey if we had made sure to prepare for that journey. And we found out we could never be prepared enough. There's always something else that you can do. Well, that's a little bit like Lent, I think, that we are in the midst of a time of preparing for a journey. 
And over these next 40 days and 40 nights, this is uh, going to be our focus, walking in the way of Jesus. And we will be trekking with Jesus uh, at various points as He is on His way to the cross of Calvary. And as we walk along with Him, we understand that it is going to involve several steps. And I have uh, put five of those for the five Sundays of Lent up here. The first one would be preparation. And then orientation. Just like you go to class or uh, you start a new job, there's probably some kind of orientation that you, you go to where you learn uh, all the lingo, the jargon of that particular uh, class or for that job, or you, you learn about the policies and all the things that are a part of that. We're going to look at that. And then application. How do we apply the things uh, that we are hearing Jesus say to our daily lives. And we'll, we'll look at that. And then salvation. Uh, the last two weeks we get into John's Gospel. The others were in the Gospel of Mark. But in uh, John's Gospel on the 15th, we'll look at John chapter 3, uh, that great verse, For God so loved the world uh, that whoever believes in Him, uh, we will talk about what it means to believe, what it means for God to send His one and only Son. And then finally, consecration that we will commit ourselves unto the Lord with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So those are some things that will be coming up. But today I want to talk about preparation because that is our first step, isn't it? If you're going to go on a journey, if you're going to go on a walk, you need to be prepared. And preparation, first of all, involves time, doesn't it? It takes time to get prepared. And for those of us who would go out hiking, the time that we put into getting prepared uh, would always result in certain things happening or not happening on the trail as we were out there. And the same thing is true for us in our spiritual lives. Uh, If we're not spending any time building our lives in God's Word and in fellowship and in worship and in this uh, discipleship walk that we have with Jesus, um, then we're going to find ourselves pretty unprepared. Jesus was out in the wilderness to get prepared. Mark just jumps right in there. If you'll look back here in in your Bible, if you'll look uh, there in the first chapter, as Jesus is having uh, this wonderful time of baptism. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart, the Spirit descending like a dove. And so this affirmation is there. And then the Spirit immediately drove him out. I don't know if you've ever thought about that imagery, but the Spirit is driving him. I don't know if Jesus had his heels dug in and like, no, I'm not yet ready to go out into the wilderness, or if it's just this sense that the Spirit is uh, ushering him on out into the wilderness. But one of the things that that you can notice, in fact, I think we still have a baptism painting that's over here. Uh, You really have two sides of the river. One side is the side everybody is being called from into the baptismal waters by John. John says, come and repent. And that is a form of preparation as well. But come get into the water and turn from your sins, turn to God's agenda for the world, not your agenda. Well, Jesus enters into the water for various reasons, but one of those is to identify with us 
but I think also as a point of departure for the rest of his ministry because he gets out of those waters and as we hear from Mark, immediately is driven out into the desert, out into the wilderness. And he is out there for 40 days. And if you have noticed, we spend a lot of time talking about 40 days, right? We just did 40 days of Advent. Uh, We've talked about Moses, uh, who spent 40 years out in the wilderness. If you look throughout Scripture, you'll find lots of 40-day, or uh, that number 40, attached to a lot of very significant events and times. This is a uh, time where Jesus is preparing for what is going to come. And so he spends his time, focuses in his time, commits himself to this time of preparation. I was watching the Today Show uh, one day this past week as I was getting ready um, for for work, and they were interviewing um, a lady who I think the, I think the name of her book is Fat and Happy. I'm not sure uh, exactly, but that was kind of the the theme of it. And uh, they were showing some pictures of her before and after, and she's written this book just to say, "Look, I'm fat." And I'm happy. And that's kind of countercultural, right? Everybody is talking about diets and all this stuff on news. And here she is saying, I've done that. And she talks about how she struggled with her weight and she was able to really get disciplined and focused and lose all this weight. And they showed her in a bikini um, there. Probably still shouldn't have been in a bikini, but they showed her in a bikini. And then they, she talked about what, what was required in her doing that. And she talked about the time that she had to invest out of each and every day to look that way. And she said, I would run 35 miles a week. I would have to go to the gym X amount of hours uh, during the week. And she would break that out by the day and just talk about all of the time that was involved. Time shopping for the right groceries and uh, making sure she was logging her calories and all of this stuff. She said, I just got to the point where I didn't want to do that anymore. I was not happy being like that. I'm happy now. I can eat whatever I want. I can just kind of, I don't have to go to the gym anymore. I don't have to run anymore. And I'm happy. Now, I question that uh, as being a healthy alternative, um, although she probably will make a lot of money off of that plan. But I was just thinking about our spiritual lives and how we do really the same thing, don't we? We get to that point in our lives when we, we see what we can become. We see what Christ is making us to be. But we also realize that there is a tremendous amount of time that is involved in that process. There is time involved in prayer. There's time that it took for you to come to church today. And I am so glad that you took the time. There is time involved in reading your Bible. There's time involved in being in a Bible study group with other people. There is time involved in sharing your life with somebody else's through one of our missional ministry teams. And what I want to ask you to do is to continue to look at that as a significant investment of your time. 
And to not think about being happier necessarily and in terms of, well, if I don't do any spiritual disciplines and if I don't observe Lent or I don't participate in anything but coming to church, then I'm going to be happier. I'm going to have more time for myself. I'm going to have more freedom to do really what I want to do instead of having to do what God wants me to do. And, and we begin to justify how we look and how we are, thinking I'm much better off this way. This season of Lent, as you focus on walking in the way of Jesus, may you do so by committing time to God. I was thinking about an acronym of um, some ways to, to remember this just for myself in, in Lent. And if you go back to, if you were here on Wednesday night for our Ash Wednesday service, if you think about that word Ash, A-S-H, think about A as being a reminder for you to attend um, many different things, but to attend worship on Sunday mornings. How about committing to showing up for worship five, those five Sundays out of Lent? For the next 40 days, and we don't count Sundays in those days, but for the next five Sundays that you would make a commitment, unless providentially hindered, that you would be here to worship that you would be here to sit next to other people who are in this journey with you. That you would make a commitment. If you're not in a Sunday school class or a, a care group, and we have uh, a care group on Wednesday nights, and, and it's large enough where I think we could even half it and uh, have half the group meet in one part of the room and half in the other. But we can accommodate and make more groups. But that you would make a commitment to show up on a Wednesday night for a Wednesday night care group during Lent. That you can grow and deepen your commitment and relationship with Christ. But also that you would block out that time in your schedule for your own personal time with God. I mean, you have that ability today. You can go ahead and look at Monday through Saturday and put some blocks in your schedule to say, this is a protected time. I'm going to carve out time in my schedule to devote just to God. Even if it's just sitting there doing nothing else but taking some deep breaths, thinking about God, remembering how much He loves you. Whatever your way of connecting with God is, that you'd make that commitment, that you would block out the time. Well, preparation also involves testing. And we don't like that word test, do we? But for Jesus, He had some tests. I was thinking about uh, April. She read that, that uh, part of the gospel there where it talks about wild beasts. And I haven't really, I've, I've read it, you know, a number of times, but I hadn't thought about it until I, I heard her say that. Jesus was out there with some wild beasts. Now, if you look in this, this painting here, you'll see that, that Jesus is having a beautiful time. He has just been baptized, and you see the uh, dove descending, and we've talked about this a number of Sundays. It keeps popping up in our lectionary cycle. Jesus is getting the affirmation of God, and it is a high point in Jesus' life. But he leaves from that, and if you look at the next painting, things have changed. 
He goes from the glory of hearing the voice of God and the affirmation of, you are my beloved, to, wow, God, where did you go? This is a very graphic picture of of Jesus. It's one we really don't like to look at. Maybe even more difficult than looking at Jesus on the cross. And you see that it's a wilderness out there. It is indeed a place that is rough and rugged. It is a place where temptations are coming at Him as was depicted in our, our skit here this morning. That Jesus was in a very vulnerable place just like you and I get into sometimes, don't we? Where we are vulnerable. We are so open um, to the dangers of evil and temptation all around us. And so as Jesus is out there, these wild beasts and these uh, different things are, are coming at Him. And it's a, it's a difficult time for Jesus. And yet He endures and He continues on with that test. There was an article in the New York Times, I believe it was last Sunday, in the uh, business section. And it was talking about challenging the comfort zone. I looked at the picture and I thought, the guy doesn't look like he is uh, uncomfortable. Uh, But as I was reading the article, it talks about how he is a, uh, Nolan Comble is a course designer and director of innovation for Tough Mudder, a 10 to 12 mile military style obstacle course. And as you read throughout the article, you see that um, he takes these courses around different places where they do either corporate training or some other kind of training. And part of this course, and this is where the mudder part comes in, is it is a, uh, a mud obstacle course where you're in to your chest in mud and you're trying to make your way through the mud to be able to get to the next step in the journey that you're on. And uh, I I think that that represents a lot of the kind of testing that we find ourselves in. And that's one of the reasons that he does this is to help people see what you can do when you're challenged. When you are not only knee deep, but you are chest deep in the mud and the dirt and the problems of life. That you can make it through. That you can find what is deep inside of you that will help you and empower you to push on through all of that and get to the other side. Jesus was going through this in His time of the wilderness. I don't think there was any mud, but He had intense testing going on in his life. And when we walk in the way of the Lord, it is going to involve testing. It's not a safe, easy course that we embark on. And as we go through this time of Lent, I don't want to scare you off, but I do want you to to definitely be aware that following Jesus is not always easy. In fact, it's usually almost never easy. And we're going to look at that as we get closer to the cross. I mean, we are talking about a cross to bear. Why do we think that it should be easy? It gets us out of our comfort zones, doesn't it? 
There are temptations that come our way. And whenever you try to get closer to God and you try to get rid of some things in your life that need to go, which a lot of people do during Lent and hopefully even after Lent, um, there is that uh, level of temptation. You know, if you're not causing any, uh, any harm to uh, uh, the evil around you, if you're not creating some kind of mess about the injustices of our world, if you're not uh, getting closer in your walk to Christ, then you're really not uh, putting a target on yourself. It's only when you begin to live for God and to follow in the steps of Jesus that you become this huge target for temptation. And maybe that temptation is to go the other way. Maybe it's to uh, hide from your faith. Maybe it's to deny your faith, as Peter would do. Maybe it's to go back to that old sin that used to dog your life. And you've moved away from it, but there is always that temptation. I had a a friend who um, was um, or is still an alcoholic, and he's uh, been sober for 20 years. And uh, I've talked to him about this before. Like, do you ever still think about drinking again? He said, John, that smell comes into my... I may be miles away from a bottle or from a bar, but that smell of Crown Royal will come into my nose like I was putting it right up in front of my face. And he said, it's all I can do to say no. Temptation comes to us in many different forms, many different ways, and it is ferocious. But also, uh, there are those things that come our way to get our allegiance. As you saw in the, in the skit that was here, the allegiance of who is it that you're going to uh, worship? Who are you going to give your allegiance to? And when times get really tough, there is that temptation to go the other way. I was watching The Kingdom of Heaven. It was on TV the other night, and um, the uh, Muslims and the Christians are, are fighting. Wait, that was on the current news. Um, it's gone on a long time, hasn't it? They are fighting, and at one point, the Christians are outnumbered. And uh, the one of the clergy, of course, looks at uh, one of the, the knights that's there, and says, look, you know, basically we're not, we're not going to be able to, uh, to win this one. Let's uh, go ahead and submit to Allah and become and convert to Islam and we'll repent later. You ever thought that? I'll go ahead and give in to what I want to do. I'll go ahead and go the easy pathway instead of going my pathway and I can repent later. I mean, I've got more years to come to live for God. Right now, I'm having a pretty good time doing what I'm doing. Going my own way. Walking where I want to walk, not where Jesus... He keeps going to these dangerous places. He keeps saying these things that are very difficult to follow and and things to do. And I just would rather go my own way. But that's not what it's about. Give your allegiance to Christ. And then the disciplines come in there as well. We are tested in our disciplines. If you're on a diet, walking past the donut table out here is a test of your discipline, isn't it? 
If you are focusing in, I know uh, Miss Lovelace over here has given up sodas. So do not drink a soda in front of her. Do not let her take it from you as you're drinking it. There are things like that where we need to focus on the spiritual discipline of following in the way of Jesus. So preparation, it involves time, it involves testing. But let me say also, it includes help. If I've scared you or made you think, I don't want to do this Lent thing, let me just say that help comes with the preparation. That's what was going on with Jesus. And if you look in this uh, painting here, in this uh, icon, you'll see um, Satan represented there. And you'll see the different things that were depicted in the, in the Scripture and in some of the other Gospels about uh, these temptations of Jesus that are all around. And you see Satan really inviting Jesus to either jump or to take over or to give in and give his allegiance to him. And just think about the damage that would have been done if Jesus had taken the shortcut and the easier way and bypassed Golgotha. He didn't do that. He told Satan what he needed to say. He told him the words of God, even the words of God that Satan was warping and twisting for his own purposes and says, that's not what it says. And this is what I'm going to do. But you see over behind him what Mark tells us. And if you missed this in the, in the gospel, look, look back at it. Uh, because it, it, it talks about him being with the wild beasts. And almost in direct contrast to that is the angels waited on him. The angels waited on Jesus. Jesus had help. And he is, pro- he is still fresh and wet from his baptism to the point where he can remember the affirmation of God. I'm sure he's thinking that as he's out there hungry and thirsty and going through these trials. No, I am beloved. Remember what God said about me? I am beloved. And God is well pleased with me. I don't need to do all that other stuff. And then he finds not only help in the affirmation, but in the baptism, that critical step for him, but also in those angels who waited on him. With us, when we are on the way, on the journey with Christ, and we are walking in the way of Christ, we will find that we have help. You will have the help of God, of God's affirmation of you, just like with Jesus. That beloved characteristic and and that uh, description of Jesus is for you as well. You are a child of God. And don't ever forget that. It doesn't matter what your record is. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter the things that you've done. You are a child of God. Let that affirmation linger deep down in your soul. Let it speak to you when you go through times of testing, when you go through the struggles of the Christian life. But also that you might know of the strength of baptism. And uh, we have had a number of baptisms in the last year, and it's always significant. Um, It is a way of affirming who you are in Christ and identifying with the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. 
And there's just something powerful about that. And we, we believe that it is a symbol of our salvation. It's a way of identifying ourselves with Christ. Have you been baptized? Have you walked into those waters like Jesus walked into them? That will help you, I assure you. But another help is the fact that you do have angels looking out over you. You don't necessarily see them. But God gives us angels to wait on us. And it it might be God working through you to help the person sitting next to you in the pew today. You might say something to that person that they so needed to hear. It may be a smile. It may be a handshake. It may be the testimony of praise that you share from another part of the chapel and someone hears on the other side and you don't think anybody was really listening, but that person took that word that you gave and kept it with them all week, thinking if God does that in their lives, God can do it in mine too. God can help me. God can show uh, me the things that I need to see as I go through the week. So God helps us in those ways. But this preparation, it is so important. And I hope that you will be committed to it in these next 40 days. It was always exciting when I'd get my friends together and we'd go out on one of these hikes. It was inspiring. Great things would happen. Great conversations. Great moments. In fact, some of the best moments of my life, I can remember being out there with those guys on a very difficult trail. I invite you to walk along with others in this church for the next 40 days and take this first step of preparation as you go into this week. Let's pray.